Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. Andy, welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler. Talking money and investing and financial planning. One of the things that we often hear when we talk about investing is that we need to control risk, right? You know, you got risk. This is a little bit risky. People worry about certain types of investments because of the risk of those investments. But what are we talking about when we talk about risk? Uh, different things. <laughs> As it turns out, there are a lot of different things. And, you know, typically what happens is risk is used as a tool to get you to buy something you probably shouldn't be buying. Because we know that we're affected by our emotions. And emotions drive decision making. And, you know, when fear comes in, to the picture, it's fight, flight, or freeze, right? You know, run like heck, run for the hills because there's risk. And it was designed, part of our brain is designed to protect us from risks. So when we look at, let's say, the hope for gain, that doesn't have nearly the impact. That just reminded me of, uh, I actually saw something, somebody on um, a Facebook friend talked about a piece of land that they were able to buy because of their trading in, in cryptocurrency. And, and there are some people out there that have gotten lucky with the, that type of thing. And it's like, it's like Warren Buffett said, it's, it's gambling. How do you get out of the gambling instinct? You know, you'll see somebody that is successful with something and then all of a sudden greed takes over and go, man, I could do that too. And she was talking about a piece of land that she had bought. And based on her winnings, so to speak, and that's the way I would look at it, it's winnings. It's kind of like gambling. It's you got your winnings and you bought a piece of land. Now, if it were a lottery, hopefully, <laughs> it wouldn't cause people to go and say, hey, this person got some winnings from a lottery and bought a piece of land. I think I'm going to go and you know start playing the lottery or I'm going to go to Vegas or I'm going to you know do whatever. But you know, it, th that is... Uh, she got the gain and now is out there talking about it. And of course, what that does is that causes people to come running and go, wow, what did you do? How did you do it? The well, same thing happens to the investing industry all the time. You'll hear some fund manager that has hit it big. Remember a couple of years ago, I guess a year and a half ago now, uh, there was somebody that a friend of mine actually asked me about and said, hey, this, this fund manager has nailed it. And this is what this fund manager is saying now. What do you think? And I said, ah. You know, we look at that and we say it was skill. And I look at it and go, now it's luck. You know, and, and you go, well, how do you know it's luck? Well, only because if you look at professional fund managers, such a tiny, tiny fraction of them end up getting higher returns than the market. In other words, when they have returns that come in, they exceed what stocks have you looked historically at what stocks have done from the 19... 1920s, you know, we talk about small companies, uh, you know, huge, you know, dollar growing to like 
$40,000 or something like that. And in and, and large companies, it's like $14,000. And, you know, you look at that and go, wow, that's a pretty good gain all on its own. That's just markets growing. And that's companies going up in value. You think about that, that Microsoft is not the same company size-wise that it was when Bill Gates pulled it out of the garage, right? Uh, we look at Apple, we look at Amazon, we look at, you know, all of these companies have grown tremendously and they've grown in value but we didn't know who those companies were going to be that were going to be the winners. And people say in hindsight, oh, it was obvious that this company was going to be the winner. But, you know, it's not obvious. And when people come out of the woodwork, you know, looking for, you know, they're, they're, well, let me go back to this fund manager real quick, because I think it's important to continue that story. This fund manager just crashed and burned after that. So that's, you know, you say, was it luck? I, I just said, that ah, the likelihood that its skill is low enough that I think I'm going to, I think I'm just going to go there. And that's what I did on the radio show here. And of course it did end up happening that way. And, and, you know, we look at the guy that ran, ran uh, Lake Mason Value Trust uh, was, gosh, you know, 15 years in a row, beat the market. And people are going, wow, this person, that's obviously skill. You don't do it 15 years in a row. And then that crashed and burned, Bill Miller. And then you go and, and you look at you know, various, oh, I remember one fund family, one, one fund company, early on in the, in the show's history, my show's history, there was an ad. And it said that we had beaten the market, I think it was 70 years. For 70 years, our return has been bigger than the market. And you, you look at that and go, surely that's skill. Right? I mean, 70 years. What they didn't tell you was that the vast majority of the outperformance occurred in one year. It was like 1941. <laughs> and I have data going back on all investment vehicles that far. So I was able to say, hey, look, this is really what's going on here, guys. It's not necessarily what you think. You know, so when we look at that and we look at risk and we say, well, you know, markets have risk. So let me bring it back to the original point. Stock markets have risk. And everybody gets that. When, I, when an academic talks about risk, you know, they're, well, some of them are a little bit off the beaten path, but uh, typically what they're talking about is level of volatility. You know, how much this thing can go up and go down and back and forth, how much it might oscillate, kind of think of a, a wave pattern, you know, going up and down and up and down. And how big are those oscillations? How big are the ups? How big are the downs? And when we look at that, we go, how do we measure that? Well, we measure that through standard deviation. How much does it deviate? So you may remember from taking school, uh, in school you took classes on math and you learned about statistics and you learned about the bell curve and you learned that nature has this thing going on where you look at anything, maybe it's the, the height of trees, and you say, well, there's an average height of a tree, you know, around the world. There's an average height. There are some that are really tiny, really small. You know, they're way on the left-hand side of the bell curve. You know, they're on that tail, as we call it. Or there are really super, super tall trees. That's like right now, everybody's you know, trying to line, they line up. Well, I guess they line up all year round to go and see the redwoods in, in California. And they you know, line up to, to go and see these things. And, and because why? Because they're, they're an anomaly. They're weird. They're the other tail. They're, they're really huge. So 
what happens in nature is we have this distribution, as it's called. And, you know, if we're talking about flipping coins, it's the same thing, right? The distribution is most people are going to be somewhere in the neighborhood, 50 heads and 50 tails. You know, 50% heads, 50% tails. And you'll have some weirdos that are really, really far on one side or really far on the other side. They flip 95 heads and five tails or, or five heads and 95 tails. Well, in, in stock markets, you'll have average returns, but you'll have deviations from that. Now, if you look back through history, that small companies have never had a 12% return. Uh, and that closest it was was uh, like in 1950, uh, 1952 or something like that. Uh, so you, you look at that and go, well, what is that? That's the average return. Yeah, it is. But some years it's 40% positive and other years it's negative 20 it's come into that average right there. So if we look at that and we say, well, okay, so we have this distribution, that's what we call risk. Now, when you look at securities regulators, they are really quick to make sure that financial people talk about risk in investing in terms of the risk that your return will not be what you expect it to be, which is absolutely correct. That is one type of risk. And it is something that we ought to pay attention to because if you look at history, yeah, you're not going to see that the returns come in for stocks. Uh, you know, they just don't almost ever come in at that average return. So it's going to vary. So we look at that. And then the other aspect of risk is this. The one we typically think of is losing all our money. Now, when we look at individual stocks, tremendous risk of losing everything. Because what happens if a company cannot pay its bills? You know, they've borrowed money. They've got bondholders. Well, the bondholders get their money back first. And if they have to liquidate everything, they're going to have to liquidate everything, pay off the bondholders, and then the problem is you don't have a company anymore. And you're in bankruptcy. And that is it. Your stockholders get a goose egg. Nothing. Then you'll have sectors of the market that may go away. You know, you may look at the technology in any point in time and go, this is great stuff. This is wonderful. And then new technology comes over and makes companies that made the old technology obsolete. Then you're sunk again. So you can have that, or you can have people borrowing money to buy stocks and that's leverage and you can lose all your money that way. When we're talking about risk in stock markets, when I'm talking about it, I'm wanting to be diversified globally all around the world with all different size companies, tens of thousands of them. And the likelihood of all of them going bankrupt at once would be pretty slim. Could it happen? Yeah, you could have global thermonuclear war. I mean, and then all bets are off with anything. I mean, it just doesn't really matter. With anything, all bets are off. So that's one type of risk, and that is disclosed. We talk about that in prospectuses, past performance. There's no guarantee of future returns. Now, by the way, that's really important when you're looking at professional managers trying to beat the market. You know, because they've done well in the past doesn't mean anything. Remember, Eugene Fama, a Nobel Prize winner, said, how long would it take to tell whether somebody's outperformance was due to skill or luck? It was like 60 to 70 years. They're dead or gone, or retired at least before you know whether that person was actually skillful, skillful or whether it was luck that they had such great performance versus the market. So that's one thing. And then you've got the other aspect of things. 
And the other side of the deal is that when people think about a non-risky investment, what do you typically think about? You know, if I said this thing has no risk whatsoever, you know, you'll see guaranteed and you will see that, you know, insurance companies, they'll advertise that their products are guaranteed. You'll have banks, you know, FDIC guarantees, you know, for example, you'll see that. And you think, well, that has no risk of any kind of loss, right? Well, you know, the reality of it is your risks fall into different areas when it comes to those types of things. Now, instead of the risk, you know, let's say, well, if, well, let's take the insurance company, for example. What is the insurance company? The insurance company is an intermediary. In other words, when you put money into an annuity product or an insurance product or any kind of financial product sold by the insurance company, they take that money and they now reinvest it. In what? Risky securities. So have you really, truly avoided risk? Not really. Because they have to put the money into bonds. They put money into bonds and real estate. And increasingly, I've talked about how there was one study that was showing that insurance companies had, oh, it was, um, oh, like 30% of their assets in junk type of bonds. 30%. I mean, that, that's a lot. And those are bonds where money has been lent to a company that is in some financial distress. So you look at that and say, how could they say that it's guaranteed? That, that it's, it's protected. Well, they're allowed to say that. But the reality of it is, do we still have risk? Yeah, we still have risk of default. Now, if all of a sudden, all the insurance companies out there, you know, they invest very similarly, and the types of things that they invest in, there's a problem. You know, people worry about, you know, the dollar devaluation or, or they worry about, let's say, uh, the federal, you know, debt or they, they worry about, let's say, that insurance company issues other products and they have claims and all of a sudden those claims are, are very, very high, much higher than they expected. And all of a sudden now, because their claims are much higher than expected, their payouts are much higher. And because of that, it could put them in all kinds of financial distress. Or if people come and, and they want to get all their money back out, like the banks, I mean, people want to get all their money back out. And then what happens? All of a sudden they go, wait, 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 wait. Uh, your money isn't sitting in this bank. You know, to use that line from It's a Wonderful Life, your money is invested in this other thing and this other thing that we invested it in. Because remember, we're just the go-between between you and where your money is ultimately invested. You know, just like banks. I mean, think about it. Where's your money invested? It's sitting in somebody's house. It's in somebody's business. It's in somebody's car. So in effect, can something go wrong where the, those people that bought the house can't repay? Yeah, we saw that in 08, right? We saw that. This isn't pie in the sky stuff. You know, can something go wrong where we have somebody's, you know, the businesses, maybe the banks made bad loans. Yeah. Can something happen where the bonds go down in value? Yeah. Can you say Silicon Valley Bank? And, you know, we've not, not, not just them anymore. You know, so there is risk all the time is the point that I like to make to investors. Because they, they, they somehow get the idea that, you know, something, and I remember doing this on, on um, oh man, I did this on TV uh, years ago, I did a segment on a TV show, and I think it's Channel Five or something like that. And I, and I was talking about bonds, 
And I said, you know, people were, and this was, man, it was probably 2006, seven, I can't remember. But the point I made was that people, there are generation, there's a generation of people that have never seen a decline in the bond market. This is a long time ago. I said, there's a generation that's never seen it. Why? And what I did is I showed a chart. And that chart was actually showing what interest rate history was. And the point that I was making was that if you look at interest rate history, you'll see that in the early 1980s, the interest rates were very, very high. And what they did is they came down, 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 down. Well, what do we know about the nature of bonds and interest rates? There's a reciprocal relationship. If interest rates go down, bond prices go up. And the reason being is that the old bonds that pay the lower interest rate, you know, if the interest rates were high, they become worth more. You know, so what happens, people go, whoa, interest rates have gone down, but there's this old bond that pays a much higher interest rate. Well, you're going to have to pay a premium or pay more than the par value is what it's called to actually buy that bond. You know, bonds are issued for $1,000 and then they mature for $1,000. And if interest rates go up, then all of a sudden that bond becomes worth more, you know, maybe worth a thousand twenty or a thousand thirty or something like that. Now eventually it will come back to earth. It'll come back to a thousand when it matures, and that is what's happening. Is it's making up for the fact that the new interest rates out there, the new newly in, you know, issued bonds, are paying lower interest rates. So, you know, so there's no free lunch out there. And so what happens is that you look at that and go, wow, okay, so we have these bonds that can have risk of all different types, but somehow the insurance companies get to say, there's no risk here. Oh, really? And I haven't even brought up inflation risk. You know, so one of the things that I like to really, really pound home is that there is no such thing as in the investing world and you know being without risk. So when I said the whole generation of investors, they've never seen a decline because interest rates went from a high in the early 1980s down to a very, very low low. I mean, a historic low. So what happens, bond prices go up. So a lot of people became complacent. They were looking at the past performance of bonds. And they were going, look, this is really good compared to, you know, like at 30-year bonds versus the stock market. It's a little bit less, but gee, so much less risky, quote unquote, right? It's so much less risk. I got to have some of these 30-year bonds in my portfolio. And people are starting to load up on that in their portfolios. And I'm going, this is kind of crazy, guys. This isn't the best idea ever. And then, of course, what happened is interest rates went up. Now, I didn't know when that was going to happen. There was no way to know that. But the point was, I wanted to make the point that you might go a long period of time where the status quo remains the status quo with anything. And then all of a sudden we become complacent thinking, we got this. I love that new phrase now that people, you got this. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so I'm going to do this, take a quick break, and I'm just going to continue on this whole topic of risk and offsetting risk and help just understand a little bit more about this topic. I think it's so important. People ignore it, but I think it's important. we got to understand this stuff. 
Hey folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. It talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt. I talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets, and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. You want to find out more about that? You go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it. And uh, hope you enjoy. And I'm back here. Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler. Talking money and investing, paulwinkler.com is the website. And a lot of people have just mentioned, there, there were uh, some that have attended the American Dream Experience that we have done here. And uh, just getting all kinds of comments, you know, just how enlightening it was from an investing standpoint, but also just a good life planning thing. You know, really getting together with family members and actually talking about topics that we don't normally talk about. Money is usually, hush, we can't talk about that. It's not polite. And uh, so often because we don't talk about it, it ends up being an area of stress or a cause of stress for families. So you know, check out the website, paulwinkler.com, uh, for information on the next one coming up that is going to be in June. Uh, very first part of June, so you can check that out. It is in uh, Smyrna, I think, is where we're going to be holding that particular one. So check that out. Okay, so the, the topic of risk, just talking a little bit about where people go to try to offset risk. You know, a lot of times they go to fixed income investments. And, you know, when we look at your fixed income investments, you might have something like CDs paying an interest rate, a, a set interest rate. Uh, and then you have a period of time for maturity. Now, a lot of times people ask me, do I use CDs for emergency funds? I don't typically do that. I say typically, I, I, I don't ever. Uh, I just simply just because the interest rate might look great, but the problem is the money's locked in and then you have back end penalties to get out. And, you know, sometimes some of these CD products aren't too bad. So, you know, I don't ever say a definite, definite don't. But just keep in mind that you may need the money at any point in time. So a lot of times savings accounts, something FDIC insured as well. Money market accounts, sometimes they can be FDIC insured. And then that way I can know I can have the money there. I can access it and pull it back out. And that's, I'm, I'm not dealing with market risk there, but I am dealing with inflation risk, of course. And the fact that the dollar is just appreciating in value, it purchases less. You know, you go back through history and look at what houses used to cost. $30,000 was the average in the 1970s. Now it's over $300,000. Cars, $3,000 was the, the price of a car. What is it with threes? Threes uh, and 3,000. And now, you know, you're looking at 50, 60,000. I mean, sometimes cars be less than that, but you know, it's usually a whole lot, right? And they're a little bit better cars. Of course they are. 
from the 1970s till now. But still in all, you look at that and go, wow, that the dollar has really dropped in value. People are the dollars going to crash in value? I'm like, it's always crashing. I mean, it doesn't crash rapidly. Depreciation of the purchasing power is something that's gradual, and it's so gradual that people don't notice it. That's the problem. And they become complacent. And they don't think about inflation. But I think about the, you know, the people that I've met that have so much money sitting in cash and it's just silently kind of going down in value on them. And it was, I don't like the risk of the stock market. Well, you know, I don't like the risk of fixed income investments, having everything there either. It's, it's a balance. You have a little bit of both. And how do we offset some of the risk with stocks? Well, it's just own lots of them and lots of different areas of the market that tend to move in dissimilar fashion with each other. And I was doing a video this week because we have these little videos that are in between the segments during the week. You know, the people that watch the, uh, the hosts during the week doing their shows and, you know, the, the live WTN TV. And then, you know, I did this one video and what I was talking about is how you, you, you diversify a portfolio. And we talk about the first decision that you make as an investor is how much in stocks versus how much in bonds. And, you know, when I'm younger, I'm, I'm more worried about inflation risk, you know, because I've got a long period of time before I'm going to be using this money. I don't care about the market fluctuation in between. Matter of fact, market fluctuation helps me because when I'm putting money away on a regular basis, if the market happens to be down, I'm buying more shares. Then when the market recovers, I own more shares that have recovered. You know, so that volatility, we call that dollar cost averaging. You know, because it is a way of getting shares at a lower average price by putting a regular amount of money away every month, every week, every six months, or whatever your period of time is that you invest. And then when the market's down, you buy more shares. Market's up, you buy fewer. And that works against you later on when you're, when you're taking an income. But it's not a big deal. You know, I always talk about when I'm young, I want to diversify in my skills, my abilities. You know, get lots of education when you're young. Go out and study new things. Constantly be a sponge for new information. Because you never know how the world is going to change underneath your feet. You never know what new technology is going to make you obsolete. You want to constantly be in the game constantly learning new things and some people i don't like to learn well you know oh I, I, I learn to love learning you know because your what what you do for people for humanity is bring information to the table and how to apply a lot of people say artificial intelligence and I, and I look at you know my industry and they've been trying to use an artificial type intelligence for for years and it has been abysmal, you know, because you have to deal with human psychology too. And the problem is, is you're dealing with trying to just apply knowledge. You know, we've got more knowledge than we've ever had. Now we have more confusion than we've ever had. So people are necessary to take the information and help people apply it in meaningful ways. You know, there's something about human contact that's huge. So learn more, you know, gain in your knowledge become more valuable 
And that would be constantly staying up on the latest things out there, but constantly finding things, making yourself obsolete is what I've always said. In other words, look at how you might be replaced in two to three to four years and kind of foresee where that might happen and stay ahead of the curve and diversify yourself like crazy when you're young. Now, when you're older, when you're looking at, you know, hanging it up not too long into the future and you can kind of coast a little bit, uh, but you know, not, not necessarily when you're younger, it's, but you know, when it comes to investing, you don't have to diversify much when you're young, you know, as far as stocks versus bonds, I, I would always diversify between large companies, small companies and growth and value and international and us and emerging markets and all of those types of areas that I often talk about diversify. So you might have tens of thousands of companies because why should I take risks that I'm not getting paid to take? That doesn't make any sense. You're taking risk tremendous risk when you only have a few stocks or, or you only have a couple areas of the market, but you're not expected to get paid to take that risk because the expected return doesn't go off. So why do that? So this is one of the things that we want to make sure that we're really conscious of as an investor is the idea of diversification. Now, diversifying between stocks versus bonds, that's a whole different deal right there. That's a whole different deal. So what happens is with stocks versus bonds, the diversification isn't as important. And the reason it's not as important is because you don't have to worry about the market fluctuations as much because you're not going to draw an income from the portfolio. So that's, that's what comes down the road is you start to diversify. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., PWI, an investment advisor registered in the state of Tennessee. PWI does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation. This information is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities.